Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. Coming down the mountain. <laughs> She'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. We're coming, dodging, deer. dodging deers. Yes, y'all. We're coming down from Idlewild in California right now. We just finished our weekend retreat. And thank God my New Yorker, my upstate New Yorker, spidey senses kicked in because a deer ran right across the road. And I was like, Danae, stop. It was very close. And then to be like, slow down, there's more deer around. Oh, so that was fun. <laughs> we're just coming down from that now. Um, but yeah, we're just wrapping a weekend and it was amazing as they always are transformative as they always are. Danae and I always end up coming away. I think also transformed, um, understanding something in a different way. Uh, like maybe a new layer of something is revealed and we, for the first time and all the moms out there will appreciate this, decided to take a day or a night, a day and a night for ourselves. And instead of rushing right home, which we usually do, we stayed one more night, just us. And now we're driving back the next morning and what a difference that made, right? What are your reflections? <laughs> By the way, I have a little microphone in my hand in the car and I'm passing it back and forth like I'm interviewing her. Yeah, I think that you are right. Like that to me is sort of the takeaway. And I think that's something it becomes one of those like practice what you're always speaking to moments where whenever you're doing something as a mom and you're away from your kid kids um i think there's you know even when you're working there's just such an urgency of like 
they need me to get back. And certainly your kids are often like pulling on you to get back. Like mommy, how many more sleeps until you're going to be here? And, um, I felt that as like my kiddo yesterday was like, don't you, don't you come home today? And like, just the thing of like, no mommy needs like another minute to exhale into everything. Um, that's just come up and out. Cause as you were speaking to, I think these immersives are, yes, we're holding space for others, but we're also, um, processing things and understanding and integrating things. And so it's a lot and it's a lot of like emotional stuff that comes to the surface. So just such a huge difference, um, driving down the mountain with like a little bit of time. We sat in the hot tub and reflected last night and it was just beautiful. Yeah. So I guess we'll take you through some of the things that we I don't want to say I've come to understand because I don't, that makes it sound like it's complete. And I almost feel like so much of this is never complete. And that's actually part of it. And it's kind of exciting that it's ever evolving. And there are layers to the understanding that continue to present themselves. But some of the conversations that we were having last night in the hot tub were really around, you know, I think as, as a people, we're always evolving, obviously, but when it comes to these conversations that, that you and I are having around like relational work, relationships are evolving. And that's not just romantic relationships, that's all relationships, right? But like you and I are always talking about around codependency, the container for relationships are evolving, the expectations around relationships are evolving because we've just realized that the way that we've done it for the however many generations, um, essentially since patriarchy, so about 4,000 years, has not served us, right? Um, it served some of us, but it hasn't served most of us. And um, so, so much of what we were talking about in the hot tub last night was around um, continuing to support each other in the uncomfortable evolutions that are happening. And we were talking a little bit about last night, like we used, we used that term like evolve or die, right? It was like, not to be extreme, but it's like, we are holding space for those who are maybe struggling to see what we see in this work and how we see that we're evolving and that people around us are evolving. And also that doesn't mean that we hold ourselves back in our evolution to kind of like wait for them or wait for them to catch up or pull them along, which I think we've all done, especially as women for a really long time. Um, yeah, I think we can't pretend that we're not living through a very particular moment in history. And there were prophecies that spoke to how things were going to shift at this particular moment of the Aquarian age that began at the beginning of 2023. And that the patriarchal structures as they had been were going to crumble and that um, there was going to be a renaissance and there was not going to be sort of... Um, it being switched out for a matriarchal culture, but the rise of the feminine was going to mean that we were going to be living in a time of integration and that we come to understand that the, the structures that have provided an illusion of safety, um, an illusion of stability were going to be seen in a different light. And we were going to realize that there was an illusion underneath the sense of safety that they offered. And in that collective awakening that we are witnessing happening before our eyes, we are, we were going to start to value as a human race, um, being in the space of aliveness again, making meaning again, and really thinking about how we want to spend our 
one wild and precious life. And so, yes, there's like an individual awakening that we are experiencing um, collectively, but there's also the awakening for the collective. And with change comes a deep sense of destabilization. And I think that's something that we've been talking about a lot recently. The two of us is just that like what we're seeing is a lot of um, what happens when something is dying. The ego death that we experience on an individual level, I think we're also seeing play out on a collective level. When something is dying, there's like resistance at the end, right? Yeah, I sent you um, this video the other day where we were saying like, we were saying like, um, oh, I, I think I said like, oh, here it is. Here's the word that we've been circling around that we've been trying to find um, in so many of these conversations we're having, right? And it's this term extinction burst. And I mean, I'm going to kind of explain it, I guess, a little bit less eloquently than she did. But essentially, the, the gist of an extinction burst is um, whenever there is uh, the extinction on the horizon of a pattern, a way of thinking, a way of living um, that no longer serves, that is in fact dying out, right? Obviously extinction. Um, the burst is the collective um, kind of holding on, right? Like, so when we look at, for example, like politics in the United States right now, and we look at like the stripping away of rights, especially for women, right? Um, and it just feels relentless. It is relentless because it's part of an extinction burst, right? It's like, Essentially, the, the those who want to uphold the ways of being are going to turn up in volume and in intensity their pushback in order to keep things status quo, right? And so rather than get hopeless, um, you know, oh, no, like this, it's everything is so horrible right now, like, woe is me look at it. I mean, obviously there's going to be anger around it and stuff. That's a, that's a given, but looking at it as like, oh, I know what this is. This is an extinction burst. And what does that tell us? It tells us that the extinction is imminent. It tells us that there's a reason why there's pushback happening right now. Right. And so if we can just stay steady and stay the course, then it's going to play out exactly as it should. Um, yeah, I love that term. I think that gave me a lot of peace. <laughs> yeah. I think there's that good old, um, you know, mantra of darkness cannot drive out darkness. And so if we meet darkness with more darkness, then we are in the space of darkness. And um, this is not me saying, you know, love and light and like just focus there. That's actually not what I'm saying. But I think that what we are being called to do in this moment in history is focus our eyes forward on the larger vision, not the noise that surrounds us that says what's not possible, where we are not, you know, it's not possible for us to evolve. Um, because what that does, if we focus there, if we focus on the fear is lead to more fear, more, um, stagnancy. And, you know, the beautiful thing about an extinction burst is extinction means this is happening. Like take it, leave it, like it, love it, hate it, whatever. This is what's happening. Um, this is the trajectory that we are on. The ways of doing life and relationships and caring for the earth that we inhabit is no longer sustainable. We cannot pretend that pro productivity at all costs is the way that we are meant to live. We cannot pretend that capitalism at the expense of our humanity and our sovereignty and um, the world 
yeah, the world that we are living in um, is something that we can continue to turn a blind eye to. Like, you know, there's so many ways that people have spoken to like the last three or four years as, you know, everything has sort of become off track or, you know, just like this deep state of disruption. And yes, it is destabilizing because it is change. But there was a whole lot that was really out of alignment in terms of the way that we were living and in terms of, you know, equality for a lot of people for a very long time. And again, it's this thing of if I rested in the structures that gave me a sense of stability and sort of called that truth, it is really destabilizing for that to be uprooted and questioned. And the work is to stay in the curiosity around why am I so activated? Why is it so terrifying for me to see that there could be conceivably other truths beyond what I have held to be true up to this point. This morning we were talking about, um, you know, cause it's all part of the same conversation. It feels like a lot of different arms underneath the same umbrella. Uh, and I don't know if those metaphors work together, but in my head they do. <laughs> and it feels like, so this morning we were talking about, for example, like um, colonialism and white supremacy, right? And I was showing you a video and I was like, I love like the conversations that are happening. They like, they just light me up. I get almost giddy when I see like, you know, for example, the conversation this morning, it was like a man who, um, you know, born and raised in India. And he was having this conversation on like a British television show where he was like, well, let's talk about this. Like, let's talk about why, you know, um, England, like, in your history books, there's no mention of colonialism. You don't talk about how, you know, your industrial revolution was funded by the, the like funded by and on the backs of the people that you essentially took over. Right. Um, and he was talking about obviously India as well. Like when you set foot in India, it was actually the richest uh, place on the planet. And then when you left 200 years later, it was one of the poorest, right? Um, and I was telling you, like, God, I just love that we're having these conversations because even in this country, it's the same thing, right? Like, people don't want to have to look at the truth of some of this, right? And we see this a lot in so many people that are pushing back against it's the woke mob, right? And it's like, why is it woke to want to know the truth and to have realistic conversations about our history? You know, like, let's talk about what we were founded on. Let's talk about the truth of, of where we're at, right? Because you can't actually evolve without digging up and digging out the truth. I mean, this is the same in therapy, right? When we talk about like understanding our past and there's a reason why with every one of these intensives we do, I always start with the like, where did it all begin? And we talk about family of origin and we talk about society and like how it is that we came to be in relationships this way. It's important to understand where things start, right? Um, and what it's, what we were saying and I think is so interesting is and I guess it's as a therapist, you know, we're so kind of trained to like sit back and observe and like make connections and see what maybe like why people are responding in the way that they respond. But when I look at it and I think, God, so many people, and I'll just, you know, I'll speak in this country only. Um, so many people in our country are so attached to the identity of white savior, the United States is the best, you know, we're this, we're that, like a very kind of nationalistic way of being, um, that when you challenge that, 
it challenges their entire sense of who they are, right? And if they don't have anything else other than these beliefs that they've kind of hung their hat on, the ego is so terrified because now what? Like, who am I now? Or for example, even our beliefs around relationships. If I have believed that this is how relationships should look and that like, for example, suffering is part of relationships, you know, like this is just what women have to endure. It's part of it. Then if you're challenging that, you're going to challenge my sense of self. And that is part of why people push back so fucking hard about this stuff, in my opinion. <laughs> as I go around the corner. Um, yeah, you know, I was just thinking as you were saying, like, woke mob, um, like the thought that came into my head was like, what is wrong with being awake, right? And I think there's like, there's something interesting in that because I do think what we're experiencing and living through is a collective awakening. And I think that we have been, many of us, most of us, I would argue, sleepwalking through our one wild and precious life. Um, and so to me, what that means is that, you know, it's funny because Carl Jung talks about how when we are resting our lives in something that is not in alignment with truth, that will come to the surface somehow. It will come to the surface in anxiety. It will come to the surface in depression, neuroses. in neuroses of some sort. That is, that is from a depth psychology perspective where those things come from. Now, it's interesting, you know, as we talk about it in the context of relationships, I was sharing with you that I, I like noticed on a comment or, you know, one of the comments on one of my posts today that someone had said something about like, you know, relationship therapists who like have a very different perspective on a lot of what we speak to in the context of relationships. And she was sort of saying, you know, 40 years of research would suggest yada, yada, something different. And you know, what we were sort of laughing about is if you think about what the world looked like 40 years ago as we were doing research on relationships in a very particular socioeconomic um, demographic, you know, with a very particular part of the population and a very specific. Always. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think there's there's a lot of things that we're not factoring into the conversation about the research we were doing. And frankly, a lot of things about what relational fulfillment actually meant for women that we're not telling the truth about. And the thing to me about awakening is we tell the truth. That to me is like the number one distinction. It's like, what does it mean to awaken? It means there's no truths that we can't speak anymore. Um, there's so many ways that what I have seen and what I experienced in my own life, the anxiety that I used to like experience perpetually was about the truths that I couldn't speak in my relationships. It was about the truths that I pushed down and sort of felt like this is what I have to do to maintain these attachments. And so we don't speak certain truths because if we do, People could leave. People could be hurt. I could be abandoned. And what I realized is that doesn't come at no cost, right? Like there's a way that the suffering actually comes from the belief that I am safe and stable in the things that I can't say, in the lies I tell to myself and others, you know? Yeah. And also I think it's important to say that this person that was commenting on your post posted like 10 times. I mean, I, and that's, I wouldn't have even seen it. I was like, girl, are you really trying to get my attention? But I think it's interesting. And I, and I think that that's important because again, like when we were reading it, we were the, immediately, both of us were like, 
you are so activated by this. You're so activated by somebody challenging the belief that you have held so tightly that you have built this person was a therapist, like built a career on, built a sense of safety on, a sense of understanding in this world on, and somebody is challenging that belief. And so they must be wrong. They must be shut down and you are defensive and you are angry. And that goes for anything. That's why I brought up the thing around colonialism and white supremacy. It doesn't matter what we're talking about. It doesn't matter if we're talking about relationships or colonialism or religion, right? It's like, if you find yourself in such an activated state that you are posting on a stranger's video 10 times, <laughs> my question to you as a therapist is, what, why are you so activated? Like, can, what are you so afraid of? What are you so afraid of? Like, what in what this person is saying has you so activated that you almost can't control yourself, right? Um, and so, and listen, like, I think that goes for everything. And that's an uncomfortable thing to hear because, you know, I think that's even if somebody is saying to me, I don't know, I'm going to make up like an extreme example. Like <laughs> I was going to say an extreme example. And then I was going to say like Scientology, for example, which like <laughs> no shade to anybody listening who's a Scientologist. Um, but, you know, somebody says to me like, there were these aliens and they came down to earth and like, that's where humanity started. And you know, all the things in like kind of the Scientology community and the belief structure. And somebody is saying this to me where I'm at now in my life, I would just kind of be like, that's interesting. Tell, tell me, me more. more. <laughs> <laughs> like, tell me more about that. Right. It, I feel like I am established enough, not only in like, my belief structure, not in dogma, but more in like my sense of self that I'm okay being an ambiguity. And I say this like almost ad nauseum, whenever we do a retreat or a workshop, I always say that one of the markers of EQ, of emotional intelligence is our ability to hold opposing truths, is our ability to challenge ourselves when we find ourselves in black and white thinking. And by the way, black and white thinking is a very normal human thing to do. It's part of why we've survived as a species, right? Because we're really good at categorizing. We have a negativity bias so we can like spidey sense the tiger in the bushes, right? Like all of these things, the way our brain works, there's not necessarily anything wrong with them. Like they've helped us in a lot of ways. But if we're talking emotional intelligence, which is something our ancestors running away from tigers didn't need <laughs> in a lot of ways, we need to be able to challenge when we feel like we are righteous in our knowing of what is true and what is right and what is, you know, fact. There's, I say, there's got to be curiosity there. Like, what is that? Why are you so afraid? Right. Um, and I think that that just in and of itself is an exercise that every single one of us on this planet needs to get better at doing. And it's part of why, even like in this country, why there's such a divide, right? In political stuff, in religious stuff, like I know best, you're wrong, I'm right. So much of it is like, it's that righteousness. It's like, I feel safe when I stand in what I know to be true. And that makes you wrong, right? Yeah, I just had a realization as you were talking, like whenever someone asks me, and for some reason people ask this like question a lot, like in like what turns you on or like what's your like biggest turn on or quality in like another person? Well, you know, just like what are you most attracted Gross. to in another person? Yeah. Like what's the quality? And I always say curiosity. Yeah. 
And what I realized as you were talking is the reason I find cure and what also like indicator of EQ. Well, that, right. But it's also an indication of a sense of solid self, because if you can't sort of stay with yourself and be grounded in a backbone and not lose yourself in fear and all that it brings up for you. Like, I think I get really turned off actually by a sense of like certainty and an unwillingness to be like in the exploration, in a conversation. And when people are like, I won't even dignify that with my presence, it just feels like fear exemplified. And I find um, that to be just like such a, like, it, it feels like the embodiment of anxiety to me. It feels like you are, and and not that I'm like, you know, but what I what I mean when I say that is if I'm talking about like what turns me on, um, I'm talking about eros, I'm talking about erotic charge. And to me, because I'm a core feminine, I get really like aroused by core masculine energy. And so the like strong enough in self to have like I stay with myself enough to be curious, enough to be in the conversation and the exploration, I think is so hot. Like I think it's yeah. such a turn on. Well I also think I think you nailed it. It's like there is insecurity in righteousness which is for the record wounded feminine energy yeah there's insecurity in that and insecurity i don't care who you are insecurity is unattractive right now we're not talking about like our children and things like that but like we're talking about like polarity and like charge there's insecurity is unattractive and, and friendships too i mean that's the same you know and i just want to say for the record when we say it's not a turn on that's not us taking away from the human mm -hmm. like you know, like, obviously we're all going to be we're all insecure. insecure. Like these are human realities, but there are moments when we're in our insecurity and it's not arousing. That's like, that's not going to turn some necessarily turn me on when you're in that energy. Totally. What are your thoughts on, cause this has kind of been, it's been like rattling around as we've been talking. I, I happened to see something the other day where somebody was saying, um, we don't really have a word for like, it's either patriarchy, it's matriarchy, or it's like what that middle ground is. And somebody said something around like, it feels like a place of androgyny. And I was like, oh, there's something in that that I find really interesting. And I also, I don't know, maybe this is a tangent, but what was coming up for me is I was thinking that would be interesting to explore because when you think about some of the things that we are talking about right now out in the current landscape, some of the things that are, um, our elected representatives are putting so much energy into like trans rights, right? Being stripped away. Um, there's somebody that you and I, well, I say used to follow that talk that was like going on this whole thing about like Harry Styles, like Harry Styles wearing like, like a dress and basically like, I don't unfollow people because I disagree. No, with no, that no. Unfollow. There was a lot of things that were coming up with that I one in particular, um, where I was just like, Oh, I'm not, I, I, there's a lot of misogyny here, but, um, there was like a whole big thing, right? Where it was very like, oh, you're not a man. Like he's not a man because he wears a dress and like real men don't wear dresses. And I was like, ew, is this like the forties? Like, are we really talking about this? But the reason why I bring that up is because if we're saying like this kind of random post I saw that like androgyny feels more like the middle, to me, there's something actually really exciting in that because it is more of this blended nature. Androgyny means to me, it's like that integration of masculine and feminine, right? And when I think about, when I think about, um, whatever, we'll use Harry Styles as an example, but I always also use David Bowie too. And I talk about like, why is it that people find people like that so attractive, right? Especially women, but also men. Um, 
I would say if you saw a David Bowie or a Harry Styles walking down the street and had no idea who they were, you probably wouldn't automatically be drawn to them. Like at first glance, there is something in the energy of the two of them. And there's other examples, but that's just the two that are coming up where it is like this integration of masculine and feminine that is so attractive and sexually charged, by the way, that both men and women become obsessed with it. Like it's fucking hot. Right. And so when this person's like, oh, you're, you know, you're not a man because you wear, you wear a dress. I was like, well, and they're like, you know, women aren't attracted to that. I'm like, well, Harry Styles and David Bowie both would argue that because they're like two of the most like famous musicians of all time. Right. So clearly people find them attractive. Women are literally throwing their underwear at Harry Styles left and right. You know? Yes. Um, I don't, I don't resonate with androgyny in terms of like, for me, what represents the integration of masculine and feminine. Um, I, I understand what you're saying. And I think like they are a beautiful expression of the exploration of what that evolution can and does look like. And I think there are so many ways that I have spoken to, you know, our brothers and sisters in the trans community being the way showers and the, the light workers that sort of speak to um, what it means to do that integrative work. I think that's absolutely the truth. And for me, what I would use, and I'm like going to plug the title of my book a little bit here in this, that like it's sovereignty. And that means like I define myself from an integration of my own inner masculine and feminine but that that doesn't necessarily need to look like anything other than what I define for myself. To me, sovereignty is like when you look up the definition of the word, it is like from an inner authority that governs, right? And we have lived for so long in a space where the external has been telling us what's true, where someone else is defining what our gender needs to look like. And to me, the evolution is I define that for myself. I define what that looks like for myself. And I think that, you know, someone can be a core masculine man who in no way like outwardly expresses that and still be deeply integrated in his feminine. And that's just as beautiful as Harry Styles in a dress. Like, I think all of it is welcome in the new earth that we are cultivating. But I think that's from a space of sovereignty, you know? Yeah. I love it all. It all it's fascinating to me. I love watching it. Um, anyway, now you guys have a little bit of an insight into the kind of conversations that Danae and I have in the hot tub after a retreat because <laughs> it never turns off, y'all. <laughs> this is just who we are. Um, but we hope to see some more of you on some of our next retreats because, boy, do we dive deep and we challenge a lot of the conversations and status quo um, that you know, we're just all used to hearing and, um, get uncomfortable. That would be how I want to end this conversation is like pushing y'all to get uncomfortable and get curious about the discomfort. Right. And notice the defensiveness and the desire to shut it down and to shut the other person down. Um, and just be curious about that. Right. Um, and honestly, as an actual tangible exercise, if you're in dialogue with somebody that activates you and makes you get defensive, I've actually said to people tangibly, use the words. I'm curious about that. Can you tell me more? Right? Actually start to adopt that into your vernacular, into your, you know, your vocabulary um, relationally. Because I think those two little phrases would serve us all a lot of good. Yeah.
Yes. Yes. All right, y'all. Until next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.